Good morning, church family. Are you ready to experience God and receive his wisdom today? We are so excited you have decided to join us. And C3 Memphis is live in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. We're so glad you guys have joined us this morning. We're going to sing some songs. You guys sing along with us and uh, worship along with us. never been good at change If I'm honest it's always scared me But I can't deny this stirring deep inside me And I know it's time to stop resisting Cause I'm not getting any younger Fear is such a sad way to live a life face to the wind I'm jumping out I'm walking in every single thing you want to show me to the ups and downs the highs and lows the taking in the letting go to tears and laughter the great unknown to the open journey into faith I go into faith I go and nobody said this would be easy anyone who did never went through anything painful but faith is not some fragile thing that shatters when we walk through something hard so we walk on whatever may come to the ups and downs the highs and lows the taking in to letting go tears and laughter the great unknown to the open journey into faith I go running like a child in an open field I'm facing all my fears If this is what it feels like to be born again I'll be born again So when I feel like giving up When I feel like throwing it all away I look back over my shoulder And I can see your goodness Every single step that I have taken And it beats like a drum And it rings like a bell Take 
Today's call to worship comes from Psalms 1 through 10. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me with your wrath. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Love is not proud, love does not boast, love after all matters the most. Love does not run, love does not hide, love does not keep locked inside, cause love is a river that flows through. And love never fails you. And love will sustain. Love will provide. Love will not cease at the end of time. Cause love will protect And love always hopes And love still believes When you don't and love is the arms that are holding you And love never fails you When my heart won't make a sound When I can't turn back around When the sky is falling down Nothing is greater than this Greater than this Cause love is right here And love is alive Love is the way 
the truth and the life. Love is a river that flows through. Love is the arms that are holding you. Love is the place you can fly to. Love never fails you. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Thank you very Gentlemen. much. Thank you very much. And I am happy to be back. I've missed you. I have missed you. <laughs> I have missed y'all. Thank you. Hooray. It's nice to be <laughs> The brains of the outfit is back. Uh, no, Hooray. I don't know about that. But anyway. <laughs> and the beauty. So. Um, we are, I'm going to open today by telling you just a, a teeny little, a little bit about one of my favorite books. And, and one of my favorite books of all to teach is The Brothers Karamazov. And um, it is a story of loss and then gain, as so many good novels are. And the very opening is written by Dostoevsky. And the very opening, the epigram, if you will, the opening page is that verse from John, what is it? 1 John? 12.24? 12.24, yeah, yeah. Where it says, um, if a grain of wheat, or I think in that translation at the beginning of the book, he says a kernel of wheat. Okay. If a kernel of wheat... If it doesn't fall to the ground and die, it dies alone. But if it dies, it brings forth a great harvest. That's exactly right. Did I get it? That's pretty close. That's exactly right. And in that book, in that narrative, the uh, Alexi is the main character, and he loses a great deal. Mm. He actually loses a friend to death, but he loses more. He loses uh, his idealism. He loses many things in the book, but. And so that's a picture, of course, of his dying. But when he died, metaphorically in the book, and came back, he brought with him great goodness. He delivered his brothers from this tyranny that they were in and, and at least offered redemption. So, his death brought forth great life. In that book, his death brought forth incredible life. His brothers all yeah. hated the father. And he was able, through suffering, through death, to, to begin to redeem it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Got a question? Got a question for you. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Um, do you know what a Pyrrhic victory is? Ooh. Um, yes, in theory, I know what a, right. theory, know what a Pyrrhic right. victory what is. That? is. What is a Pyrrhic it's a, victory? It's a great, like a Greek victory or an ancient victory where you win the, the, the battle, like it's brutal mm-hmm. or big or however you might win it, and, and, and it's successful. But for some reason, that battle doesn't lead to winning the entire war. It's like it's a singular thing. Yes. Is that it? Yes, that's very close. Let me tell you what the dictionary says. A Pyrrhic victory is a victory that inflicts such a devastating toll on the victor that it leads to their ultimate defeat. Yeah. Yeah. The cost of winning. Cost is too much. The cost of winning negates all the long-term advance, achievement, and gain. Yeah. Relationally speaking, we could apply that to relationships, which is what we're talking about today. That's what I heard. Um, in relationships, this would apply from the perspective of people who are so committed to winning relational battles that they lose the ultimate war. 
they lose the ultimate relationship. Mm. They win all the little battles in the relationship, but because of that, so much damage is done. So much damage is done. So much cost is paid by everyone under the roof that they ultimately lose the relationship. Um, I do a lot of weddings. You know that. Uh, Did one actually the last two weekends in a row. I've done weddings, and Hmm. uh, these little couples uh, stand in front of me, starry-eyed and filled with excitement and joy, and they. make a promise uh, before me and before God and family and friends to each other that they are going to enter into a covenant relationship that they will honor for the rest of their life. That's right. And theirs will be the only relationship ever that is simple. That is simple (laughs) and easy and totally fun. That's That's right. right. That's right. But every couple that I've ever married, and I've married several, well, several thousand for sure, um, every couple that I've ever married it is very clear that they are coming into the marriage because of what they believe they're going to gain. There is great benefit, great life, great gain that they are entering into this relationship to enjoy. Yes. And that's not wrong or bad. The Bible even says, I think in Proverbs, mm, it's either 18 or 22, I've forgotten, but in Proverbs it says that he who finds a wife finds great gain. Mm-mm. I did. I found great gain when I found you. Um, so th- there's great gain in finding a wonderful mate, and we should enter into marriage uh, expecting to experience gain of and course. benefit in life. Yeah. But it does beg the question, and that's what I want to talk about today, is how does that work? How do we experience gain and benefit in marriage, how do we how do we make that happen? How do we experience that? Um, and I want to suggest that God's plan for us experiencing life and gain and benefit in marriage happens in a way that is exactly the opposite of what you and I would think. So I want to ask you another question. Today's question. Put me on spot. Okay. If I asked you to give me the antonym of life, what would that be? What's the opposite of life? I'd go with death. Okay. And everyone else would. Everyone but God. Yeah. God does not see death as the opposite of life. The Bible would suggest that God... I thought of something else. Ah. Well, that would have messed up my example. Yeah, okay. Um, God would suggest, or God would say, that... Death actually is the means through which we experience life. Well, that verse. That's exactly right. John 12, 24, uh, again, suggests that if we die, we experience great life. Mm -hmm. And those that are unwilling to die miss out on that abundant life. God says that life comes through death. We experience life as we choose to die. Let me give you... Two other verses. Uh, Jesus says this in Luke 17. He says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you let go of your life, you will save it. And in Matthew Matthew 10, Jesus says that another way, different wording, same idea. He says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life, you'll find it. Then one more time, let me just quote that verse from John 12, 24, yeah. one more time. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces a great harvest. We see this in the natural world every single year. Yes. The winter yes. comes, everything looks dead. Some things are actually almost dead. <laughs> and then... They come back it fuller comes, than they were the year That's before. exactly right. The, more the, leaves, their more death fire. produces greater yes. uh, thriving and abundance. Yes, yes absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Um, but what does that look like? What does death resulting in greater life actually look like relationally? And what I want to suggest for us to consider is that it looks a lot like the way Jesus related to people. If we want to get an idea of visual, what, is, what does it look like for somebody to actually choose to die to create life? To, 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 to choose to die so that life is created. What does that actually look like? And my suggestion is, all we have to do is look at the life of Jesus and how he related to people, and we'll get a pretty good idea, a pretty good example. Uh, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5. He said... <clears throat> Follow God's example. This is from Ephesians 5.1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us. He died. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And I was pondering that verse a few days ago. And I started thinking about Jesus hanging on the cross. And I'm not sure why, but my mind went to the people that were surrounding Jesus as he hung there on the cross. And the Bible says that they were mocking him and scorning him and hurling ins Actually, the literal wording is they were hurling insults at him. And one of the things that his enemies, his accusers, his mockers, his scorners, were, were hurling at Jesus was this accusation he was able or willing to save others, mm. but he wouldn't save himself. He was willing or able to save others, but he wouldn't save himself. And I thought about that. You know, we know Jesus told his disciples... If I, if I want rescuing, I can call my, to my Father right. and He'll send legions of angels uh, to rescue me and protect me and defend me and demolish my enemies in a, in a second. Sure. So He could have done that, but He didn't do it. He wouldn't use His power, His rights, His authority for personal benefit, personal gain, personal salvation. Jesus wouldn't use control and force to accomplish good. For he knew that when we use coercion, force, manipulation, control, when we use those type weapons or tools to accomplish our purposes, it always results in false power. It's not real power. It looks like power, but it's not power. It, it always results in temporary gain or victory or a win, but it's not a long term. It's, it's, it's a pyrrhic victory. It's yeah. a, it's a, yay, we won, 
for a day yeah. or a week or a month. But long term, anytime I use power, coercion, force, manipulation to achieve my goals, it's always false power. Well, those you know, things have no love in them. They're, that's exactly they're right. Love. That's why, you know, selfishness. parents use their power, uh, their authority, their rights. Uh, uh, their manipulation, their control on their children, and the kids do obey as long as they're home. Yeah. The minute they go outside, that power isn't there anymore, and the kids do what they want to do. Yeah. It's false power, and it's a temporary victory. Jesus would not use control and force to achieve his good. It's embittering. That's it. It, it, it embitters. It angers, it alienates, it, it achieves exactly the opposite of what we hope. Yeah. Um, Jesus chose sacrifice and suffering and death so that we could experience life that was abundant, life that was real, and life that was everlasting, that actually lasts forever. I heard this quote made about Napoleon. He said, Napoleon said, I have built an empire through power, but it is melted into nothing. I built an empire from power, but it is melted into nothing. Jesus, in contrast, built a kingdom or an empire via sacrifice and death that still stands 2,000 years later, and the Bible says it will last Forever. forever. God created marriage to be a place where we can learn how to experience and how to give life through death. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name of the show because you might I don't, just it would take too long to explain the show. But you and I love a show. Uh, we've been watching it now for a while, and it's about the bottom line is it's about a, the the love affair of a man and a woman. They love each other deeply and passionately, uh, and they go through all these experiences, and it's a crazy show. But at the end of the day, um, they love each other, and it's their journey together. And uh, at some point, um, they get married. He'd never been married before. He was a young man. He marries this girl who he, who he adores. And they're laying in bed one night talking. You'll remember this scene. And he looks up at her and he makes an incredible statement. He says, uh, let me, I want to say it exactly. He says, I cannot, he said, I've come to the realization that I cannot gain your soul without losing mine. That's incredible. The writer of that line understands something. He understands exactly what we're talking about today. For him to have written that into the script. Her was a woman who wrote Oh, sorry. Okay. Her, her. Just Excuse that. me. Okay. She, well, and that really, that, I know you're saying it is a funny, but it, there's, there's, there's depth there that, that a woman would understand this in a way that mo, many men do not. And that is, I cannot gain your soul without losing mine. I cannot enjoy the life that I want to draw from your soul without losing mine, without my soul dying. That's, that's an incredible line. Yeah. Well, the, that lady realized that. Jesus knew it all along. Yeah. Jesus knew that idea. He lived that idea out. 
And the thing that I want us to think about today is that Jesus is challenging us to follow in his example and to relate to other people, especially our mate, as he did. Paul talks about this in Philippians 2, the first few verses he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't operate your marriage, by example, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others over yourself, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others, the interest of your mate, by example. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being God himself, yet did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and became human and humbled himself, obeying his Father's will and experiencing death on a cross. Therefore, God, because he was willing to do that, because he was willing to die to give life, listen to what happened to him. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, giving him the name that is above every name. God uh, gave the mandate of redeeming the world to his son. God the Father gave that mandate to his son, and he said, I want you to go and redeem mankind. I want you to give life to mankind. Well, how am I going to do that, Dad? Well, you're going to give them life by your willingness to experience death. But I promise you, if you do that, you'll ultimately be the one that experiences the highest level of life. With a great harvest. With a great harvest. That's exactly right. God created marriage to be a place. And I, we know this, those of us that have been married, you and I have been married almost 40 years, um, uh, we, we know from experience and, and people that have been married for any time at all, they, they, if they see marriage at all through the eyes of God, they know this to be true. God created marriage to be a place where pride, where selfishness, where the need to win and the need to control can be destroyed. That God wants marriage to be a place where the things that rob us of life in abundance, especially relational life in abundance, those very things can be addressed, identified, worked on, uh, minimized, and ultimately destroyed. Uh, you know, one of my heroes is uh, Dr. Tim Keller, uh, one of the greatest uh, Bible scholars and, and uh, pastors in America, um, and I, I read him every day. And uh, I know you like him as well. I do. Um, he was being interviewed a while back. <laughs> and uh, uh, the lady who was interviewing him said, Dr. Keller, uh, you know, you have built this huge, successful church in Manhattan. You've written dozens of best-selling books. You are at the top of the invitation list for every Bible conference and leadership conference that occurs in the United States. Um, you are one of the most influential spiritual leaders uh, in the world. Uh, you're at the top of, of everything that you've ever 
sought to, to focus on and achieve. How do you remain grounded mm-hmm. and humble? And without blinking, he said, well, I got married. <laughs> and what, what perception, what wisdom to yeah. identify yeah. that when I start thinking I'm bigger than life, when I start thinking that I'm indispensable, when I start thinking that I'm better than others, my wife is there to remind me, you're wonderful and I love you, but you also put your pants on like everybody else, and you've got as many weaknesses and flaws as you do strengths and benefits. And by the way, can you pick up those clothes? Yeah, and could you, could you put your dirty uh, underwear in the, in the hamper and fold those towels? Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, Jesus came willingly to give his life so that we could experience life. And he has called us to do the same in our relationships, especially our marriage relationship. Jesus was willing to become crushed grain and poured out wine, as Oswald Chambers would say. Jesus was willing to become crushed grain and poured out wine so that we could enjoy nourishment and delight. And he's called us to do the same thing. Uh, You can't drink grapes. You can't eat grains of wheat. You you can't eat that. You can't drink grapes. If, 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 If we want to give people the delight of wine and the nourishment of bread, it's got to be crushed and poured out. And that's what Jesus was willing to do so that we could enjoy his nourishment and his delight, and that's what he's called us to do. But in Jesus' case, and the same is true for us, crushing and being poured out, it's no fun. It's hard. Perhaps it's difficult. we don't believe that there will be greatness beyond it. That's exactly all we tend to focus on is the pain of the being poured out, the discomfort and the lack of, of pleasure in being crushed. Yeah. It is no fun. It is hard. It is painful. It is costly. But God says that when we are willing to be crushed in our relationships and poured out in our relationships, we can literally be the, the, the means through which God gives others nourishment and delight. So, in conclusion, I need to sort of wrap this up. How do you how do you do that? How do you practice and 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 live in a place of death in our relations? How do you how do we die in our relationships, especially in our relationship to marriage? How do we become broken bread and poured out wine in our relationship? Well, the answer, at least my answer is, and I think this is God's answer, you do a lot of dying. How do you become broken bread? How do you become poured out wine? How do you become nourishment and delight in the lives of others? You do a lot of dying. And how do you die? Well, um, I know in our marriage, uh, I do this a little bit, sort of well. Um, You do it a whole lot, and you do it really well. But it's the same. We serve one another. You know, every time one of us serves the other one, rather than demanding service from our mate, we die a little bit. Every time we show forgiveness or ask forgiveness when we'd rather not, we die a little bit. Every time we show love and you do it and I try to do it, every time we show love to our in-laws, 
or to our extended families when we would really rather just withdraw and isolate from people that we find difficult at times. Anytime we choose not to isolate, not to withdraw, and show love to our in-laws and our extended families, we die a little bit. Anytime we put our mates' priorities and values above our own, we die a little bit. Every time you go home, when you'd rather not go home, you die a little bit. Every time you hold your tongue rather than speaking that caustic zinger, you die a little bit. Every time you speak up, when you, it would be so much easier just to be quiet yeah. and not engage. Yeah. Anytime you, you tell the truth, especially when it's going to, you know it's going to create disagreement and, and, and aggravation, but you tell the truth. Anytime you tell the truth, even when it's costly, you die a little bit. Anytime you really listen with the intent to understand, you die a little bit. And there's thousands of other examples, but these are practical ways that we can choose to die to self so that we can give life to our mate. And it's not our job to give life. It's not our job to give nourishment. It's not our job to give delight. That's really something that only God can do. But I can choose, and God tells me to choose. I can choose to do the dying. And if I choose to do the dying, God will make he sure. He'll bring the life. He'll bring, he's the Lord of the harvest. He's the only one that can bring things back to life. That's exactly. He's the only one that can resurrect death uh, into life. He's the only one that can create a harvest anyway. I can choose to die. But He can take that death and will. He promises to take that death and to make it into something wonderful and abundant and eternal. Um, our society tells us that the highest and most noble vocation that we can choose is to pour our lives into our kids. And I think that's a lovely thing, but it's not biblical. There's not one verse of Scripture that would suggest that the most important relationship in my life ought to be our, our kids and grandkids, as wonderful as they are and as important as that is. What the Bible would clearly say is that the most important relationship in my life should be you and out to be your most important relationship. And the greatest gift I believe we can give our children and grandchildren is, the, is to show them a picture yeah. of how, what that looks like and how that works. And that it's possible. Yes, and it's possible. We must recognize, uh, well, what I was going to say was, um, you know, the truth is, though, we can't do that. We're not good at dying. Uh, we don't want to die. Dying's hard, and we're too selfish. We're too contrary. Uh, we're too difficult. We're too uh, deceived, self-deceived. We don't want to die. And we can't die well, and we can't die long-term. But there is somebody that can help us do that well and can help us do it long term. And that's the Lord Jesus. If we will look to Him and ask Him for help and, and live His life and His death through us, He can help us learn to die well and die long term in our relationships so that He can then do something amazing and life-giving. He says in John 7, Jesus says, People who come to me to eat and drink of my life 
will have rivers of living water flowing out of them. If I come to Jesus and ask Him for His help, He will let His life flow through me into you. Um, David says in Psalm 30 that weeping may last all night long, but there is joy that will come in the morning. Learning to die to self to give life to you. That often creates tears. Sure. In your life, in my life, and in every person's sure. life that's ever tried to do it. But when we uh, practice dying and that which creates tears, God promises, I see it, I'll honor it, and I will ultimately create joy for you through it. T.S., I'm sorry, Thomas Carlyle made this statement in closing. He said, the tragedy of life is not what we suffer, but what we miss. The tragedy of life is not what we suffer, but what we miss. And uh, I would just declare that uh, dying in our relationships, dying in our marriage to one another, is not the greatest tragedy. The greatest tragedy is that we don't ultimately end well. And God says, I will make sure you end well if you daily practice dying with each other now. I want us to think about that. I challenge you to think about it. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper real quickly. We do this because we believe that Jesus did give His life and died on a cross so that we could experience His life for eternity. And so we eat this bread which represents His body and we drink this wine which represents His blood and we do this to declare we have placed our faith in the death of Jesus as God's gift to us so that we can experience eternal life. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us so that we could experience eternal life. And thank you, C3 family and friends and neighbors, for joining us today. We're so glad you could be with us. Lord bless you this week. Amen. Amen. I need you to soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to open my eyes to see that you're shaping my life. It's all I am. I surrender. Trust what you say That you're good Your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life I need you To soften my heart and break me apart I need you to pierce through the dark and cleanse every part of me and all I am and I still
trust what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life oh, give me faith to trust what you say that you're I surrender. Well, you guys have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week, 1015 Facebook Live and YouTube Live. We're Christ Community Church. Come on back next week. We'll see y'all then.